Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion. Team. You know, when we started this podcast, the Mets were four games ahead of the pack. It seemed like a really good idea. Well, damn it, we're not going anywhere. Anyone who's ever felt stepped on, left out, picked on, put down, whether you think you're a nerd or not, why don't you just come down here and, oh, I'm, uh, I veered off into the Robert Carradine speech at the end of Revenge of the Nerds. I apologize, but the point stands. We're not going anywhere. The Mets aren't going anywhere, even though they have lost 13 out of 18. Everything you need to know coming up now. Mets in the morning. Mets in the morning. Oh, yeah. Mets in the morning. Gonna tell you what the Mets are doing while coffee is brewing now. Here's Josh Lewin. Scoodly down. Four games into this Mount Kilimanjaro climb, and so far, yep, 0-4. We knew what this part of the schedule was, right? The Mets would be having their own personal Aberdeen Proving Ground. That's the Army base near Baltimore where they test artillery and tanks for toughness. That's what the Mets are doing right now. They're playing the Dodgers and Giants exclusively, and we will see if they live to tell the tale. Josh Lewin with you. Thank you for joining us. Mets in the morning hits every morning, Monday through Friday. And yes, the Mets had started Monday night, 59 and 58, two and a half games behind Atlanta, game and a half behind Philly. Bit of a slip down the greased up fire pole, I know, and, and it would get worse after Monday night, I'm afraid. Go back to July 28th. The Mets had a five game lead over Atlanta. Since then, the Mets have gone five and 13. The Braves are 13 and four. You might remember the last home game against the Dodgers. They went 0 for 12 with runners in scoring position. Six of their last seven runs in that series had scored on something other than an actual hit. Wild pitches, ground outs, sack flies, the least sexy ways to score runs. It was like paying for your meal with a handful of nickels. I mean, yeah, you paid for dinner and thank you, I guess, but just not that impressive. For that Dodgers series, they had as many hits with runners in scoring position as they had position players on the mound in one inning, two. So not a banner weekend, I know. And as the Mets winged their way out west, we did get some injury updates uh, that should warm your cockles. Nothing worse than cold cockles. Baez and Lindor both could be back by next week, and presumably that should fire up the offense When those guys are healthy, they add that element the Mets really don't have or use very much, and that is, as Maverick said to Goose, the need 
for speed. The Mets are 29th of 30 teams in stolen bases. The fewest stolen bases the Mets have ever had in a full season was 27. Wayne Garrett led with six, but that was in 1973 when they went to the World Series. If it sounds like I'm flailing around looking to pin the Mets scoring issues on just injuries and just not being a good base running team, well, that, that is part of it. And we should mention the Mets did score five runs on Monday night, but some of you still, I think, may be somewhat uh, unclear on the concept as to why the Mets are still riding the so-called struggle bus and not just running away with the East. And I think it's a pretty easy equation. Too many guys hurt, too many guys who had great numbers last year and stopped having great numbers this year. I think that's it. Take the first one, too many guys hurt. If you look at expected war, war is wins above replacement value. The Mets have misplaced 10 Expected wins this year already, according to the guys with the algorithms and slide rules and whatever else uh, the really smart nerd types walk around with, like Lambda 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 from Revenge of the Nerds. I myself am a nerd, just not a smart nerd. I'm the kind of nerd that's watched a lot of Family Guy and Monty Python. doesn't make me smart. The smart folks say no Syndergaard, limited to Grom, on and on and on, has made this team win 59, not 69. So yes, that's a biggie. But part two, or part B, I'm also really bad at indexing, obviously, the fall-down seasons from guys who you expected to do better. James McCann, 896 OPS last year. That was better than alternative free agent JT Real Muto. McCann, this year, 660 OPS. That's 150 points worse than Real Muto. Jeff McNeil, last year's OPS was 836. This year at 710. Lindor, career OPS 833. This year 702. Conforto, last year 927. This year 705. Dom Smith, last year 993. This year 692. In other words, last year he was Tatis Jr. This year he is uh, J.P. Crawford. And for those of you who don't know the OPS stat, please don't be embarrassed. I I got you here. OPS is a player's on-base percentage and slugging percentage just mushed together. On-base percentage is the percentage of times you come up that you actually reach base. So if you walk once in four trips to the plate, that's one reach in four trips. One divided by four is 25% or 250. Slugging percentage, a little tougher, is how many bases off your hits divided by the number of at-bats. So if you get one double in four at-bats, that's two bases on the double, right? Divide by four at bats, two divided by four is 50% or 500. See, there you go. As my daughter once told me with tremendous gravity one day when she came home from kindergarten, math is all about numbers. And that is really true. Anyway, uh, beyond those things I pointed out, the other more subtle failure this year has been the inability to do the little things at the plate. Things that Dodgers did so well and so often Sunday night, getting that runner home from third with less than two out. Base hit with the bases loaded, a triple, a sack fly. The Mets had come into this game Monday with a team record 68 games in between triples. Can you guys give me 60 seconds to talk poetically about the triple? Because there would be actually a really big one in this game for the Mets. I love the triple, which Sports Illustrated once called the most exciting 12 seconds in sports. All those things happening all at once, and usually a runner going head first into the bag to beat a relay throw. It's performance art, and it's rare. The triple is the least common sight in a baseball box score other than the balk and the triple play. Hundred-odd years ago, home runs were the rarest hit in baseball. Now, 
It's triples that account for not even 2% of all base hits. Home runs account for 16%. Parks are smaller these days. The hitters are bigger. A triple gets hit once every 210 at-bats these days. Part of it is risk-reward. You're told never to make the first or last out at third base, so why bust your butt and take a chance on a triple when you're already in scoring position with your double? And follow me on this one. Triples aren't really a negotiating advantage come contract time. Jim Palmer once asked Davey Johnson when Davey played for Baltimore why he pulled up at second late in the blowout game rather than coast to third with what looked like an easy triple. And the reason was Davey had a doubles clause in his contract. There is no such thing as a triples clause. Used to be that the big home run hitters, your Mantles and DiMaggio's and Musials, they all led their leagues not just in homers but in triples. That does not happen anymore. Never. Mark McGuire once went more than 4,600 at-bats in between triples. All right, I'm stalling. I admit it. I'm talking about triples. Eventually, we do have to talk about Monday's ball game. The well-traveled Rich Hill against the one-time number four overall pick of the Orioles, Kevin Gossman, who's broken out fully now for the other orange and black team, the San Francisco Giants. The Mets, to their credit, made Gossman work in the first inning particularly. 24 pitches, in fact, but the Mets once again did not score in the first inning. The Mets' first inning run scoring rate is the rough equivalent of Gilligan's getting off the island rate. Last 24 Mets' first innings, two runs scored. It's like getting ketchup out of of a brand new bottle. Don't blame Brandon Nimmo for this. He walked to start the night. And since September 1 of 2019... Best OBPs in the NL, it's Juan Soto, number one, Nimmo, number two. He's ahead of Bryce Harper and Freddie Freeman. And part of that is that Brandon just doesn't get himself out. Lowest chase rate in the National League the last two years. It's Soto, Max Muncy, and Nimmo in that order. But Nimmo was stranded. Rich Hill was matching Gossman zero for zero into the bottom of the fourth when all of a sudden the Giants just started doing Batman captions. Bam, pow, zwop. Uh, five straight hits, including one from old buddy Wilmer Flores, 2-0 Giants. Hill done after just three and two-thirds. Let's take a second, by the way, to give you the San Francisco point of view here. The Giants with the best record in baseball. They had won 12 of 15 coming in. It's the best they've been through this many games since 1993. Now this is their Aberdeen proving ground, too. They've just begun a stretch of 19 straight against playoff contenders. It's all Mets and A's and Braves and Brewers and Dodgers. Next time they play a sub-500 team, September 6th against Colorado. So this is go time for them from one of the more beautiful and interesting stadiums in any sport. And we'll talk about Oracle Park later on. One thing we can say right now, though, is while this place is usually death for home runs, it is a really good park for, dare I say it, yeah, triples. Mets were down 2-0 in the fifth and away. We go. Ball no strikes the pitch. Splitter line to right center field. That's a base hit for Alonso. It goes up the alley and all the way to the wall. Up to triples alley it goes. Nimmo scores. Around third, Conforto comes home. Alonso's on his way to third. A head first dive and a two-run triple. The game is tied at two as Pete Alonso comes through. Wayne Randazzo with the call on WCBS, and there it is. First Mets triple since June 3rd. And right after that, a sack fly from Dom Smith who has four of the last five Mets sack flies, by the way. Two things they so very rarely get, a triple and a sack fly. They got them both in 60 seconds Monday night for a 3-2 lead. 
And the Mets really earned that lead. They had fouled off 20 pitches from Gossman, worked a few walks, chased him after just five innings. That's an 11-game winner. It's an all-star. Mets did a nice job to chew him up and spit him out. They really did. But the lead would not last long. Miguel Castro facing former Cub Chris Bryant, the player so many of you wanted so badly at the trade deadline. Two-run home run dead center, 4-3 San Francisco. Giants have scored 51% of their runs on home runs, most in the majors. Only two Giants teams in the last 71 years have led the majors in home runs. Only one since the team moved west in 1958, and that was 1972. Chris Bryant getting just his second as a Giant, and spoiler alert, he would later add his third. Brandon Belt a home run as well off the bench. Two homers by Trevor May in the bottom of the seventh given up. His ERA has now jumped to over four. May with uh, three runs allowed, a couple allowed by Castro. Hill allowed a couple. Mets were down 7-3. They did cut it to 7-5 on a two-run homer by Jonathan Villar, who's been outstanding of late. The Giants' Tyler Rogers had allowed just two extra base hits to lefties all year. Uh, VR pumped one into the seats. Final would be 7-5. After the game, Luis Rojas met the media. Louis, I know you guys scored the five runs, but again, you know, one for seven with runners in scoring position. I think you guys left nine on base. You said that yesterday you thought uh, the guys were a little too aggressive in those spots. What did you make of the approach tonight with runners in scoring position? Yeah, we, we were we were better. Uh, I thought overall in the approach, and runners in scoring position, we did miss a couple of chances there. We had the first and second no out uh, when Blankenhorn came came to a pinch hit and uh, got into a 3-1 count, and he did get anxious. Like, we, we've we been talking, getting away from your original approach, and uh, we end up not scoring in the in the inning. So uh, I, I thought that was a big highlight with the runners in scoring position situations. But um, overall, I thought the guys won the ball, uh, the bat better than we have in the last uh, four days. So we, we need to carry over uh, our offense like this to the next games, you know, if we, if we want to win those games. Uh, yeah, I'm glad that they stuck. Uh, they came right back. We are hitting that that homer Drury with that Kia bat pinch hit again uh, of the bench after they had that three run inning in the seventh. Uh, so I mean, over, overall, I, I like how our offense was. You know, even though we we failed to uh, deliver a big hit again with runners in scoring position. Trevor May has has obviously had his ups and downs this season. Last two outings, now three runs given up in each one of them. What are you seeing from him just in, in this? You know, last couple. Well, for me, there were just mixed spot, uh, missed uh, spots. Uh, there were center line. Both of those pitches, the back-to-back homers, were center, center line. Fastball, uh, middle down to to uh, Brandon Belt, uh, and then slider just hanging center line as well for uh, Bryant. And you know, just just didn't execute. You know, the, the stuff was there up to ninety-seven with the with this fastball. He's got the sliders, got the changeup in the mix, but center line like that, and a, and a team that's leading the majors in homers. I mean, you you can't get hurt if you leave pitches out there. Thank you, Skipper, very much. Uh, so with that, the Mets are where they haven't been since May the sixth. They are at the five hundred mark, fifty nine up, fifty nine down, forty four to go. So to distract you from that little slice of information, I want to get back to talking about Oracle Park since there are still two games to go here. Open 20 years ago, it was not called Oracle back then. It's a season when John Franco struck out Barry Bonds to win a huge playoff game for the Mets, as you might recall. Anyway, Nate Shearholtz once said he counted there are 19 
different surfaces in that outfield that a ball might hit. There's brick, there's metal, there's chicken wire, etc., etc. There are tons of different permutations of how a ball can hit a fence and bounce away. And that's part of why it's such a great triples park and such, such an interesting ballpark for outfielders. But beyond that, it, it's a scene, man. Uh, orange boas and dancing grandmas. It's a fraternity party and a cocktail hour in a beautiful, intimate setting. They just go goofy with pride about that place. And, and I get it. After those 30 brutal years of Candlestick, which was a ballpark without a soul, the Giants are in a place now that just throbs with excitement. You can watch a few innings of baseball. You can catch a striped bass while fishing off the pier. You can kayak after a home run ball. I love that they call the upper deck view level. It is a gorgeous view, and you see all the way across to Oakland on a clear night. I love the big glove out beyond left field. The first few seasons, you might remember the park had a million-dollar prize payable to a randomly selected fan if a hitter were to hit the ball into that glove above the left field stands. 501 feet away. Uh, Since then, since it's become apparent that no one is ever going to do that, not even in BP, the team dropped the prize. They stopped paying the $40,000 a year insurance premium on the prize. Candlestick was not a a home run park, of course, either. And from the start, when that place opened in 1960, wow, so long ago now, uh, there was an attorney and seasoned seat holder named uh, Melvin Belly, and he sued the city after day one, claiming that the the radiant heating in the box seats that they promised didn't work. And that guy, Melvin Belly, may have been the first guy to realize what became patently obvious to everybody else. It was just a cold, windy, nasty place to try and watch a ball game. Jack Clark once said, you know what would improve that place? Dynamite. The comedian Bob Sarlat said, you knew we were at Candlestick when the fog rolled in, the wind kicked up, and you'd see the right fielder slicing open a caribou to survive the ninth inning. The old ballpark survived the the famous uh, Loma Prieta earthquake during the 89 World Series. Here's one for you. I mean, this is just bizarre. The morning of that famous earthquake, right before the start of Game 3, there was a columnist in the San Jose newspaper, a guy named Kevin Coward, who wrote the following. These are two teams from California. And God only knows if they'll get all the games in. I mean, an earthquake could rip through the Bay Area before they sing the anthem for Game 3. That's what the dude wrote. And that is exactly what happened. 5.04 Pacific Time, October 17 of 89. Earthquake measuring 7.1 on the Richter scale. Tim McCarver just had it thrown to him by Al Michaels for his opening comments about Game 3. And then it was chaos. Anyway, as for game two of this particular series, Marcus Stroman for the Mets. They need his best, obviously, tonight. He's 8-11, and but with a glorious 2.79 ERA. He's up against Logan Webb, who's 6-3, and with a 2.96. 9.45 p.m. East Coast start. Wednesday, Tyler McGill against Anthony DiSclefani, two guys with ERAs that approximate the game time. Normally, that's a bad thing, but it's a 3.45 first pitch. East Coast time, a 12.45 ERA would not be good, obviously, but uh, 3.42 for McGill, 3.29 for DeSclefani. And look, I know the odds are still stacked against the Mets right now. At the All-Star break, the Mets playoff odds, we were told, were 69%. Very nice. They started this road trip, though, with those odds down under 10%. And look, all I'm saying is come September, The only teams that Philly plays at home that month are 
the Orioles, the Pirates, the Cubs, and the Rockies. Those teams are 73 and 160 in road games. So I'm telling you, Philly has it easy. At least Atlanta has it neutral. They've got a little tougher schedule. But I will say the Mets have it rough. Not going to lie. Tonight, they got another shot to get this thing back on the tracks. And I do hope you'll tune in. Hope you're making plans to come see the Mets in person starting next week with the same San Francisco Giants in town. Hey, before we go, as we always do, we try to lighten things up after a loss by saying thank you to the Mets in the Morning House fans. Let's give it up for these guys. They work so hard. On keyboards, it's Royce Ring. Slapping the bass, we have Alejandro Deaza. The horn section is Tyler Yates. And on drums, ladies and gentlemen, Devin Mezzarocco. This is Josh Lewin. Hope you enjoyed it. Talk to you again tomorrow. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.